everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Visitors Might Be Listening, the exciting continuation from last year's Smash Post Rider hit. <laughs> I'm your host, Captain Lewis Ryan, and with me is my trusty co-pilot, Mr. Mike Levito. Howdy. And let's not forget our little mascot, Sparky. Say hello, Sparky. <laughs> Whoa, settle down, boy. <laughs> We're back again. To keep talking about season one of the Apple TV Plus show for all mankind. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, Mike, how, how are things going with you? How are things going with me? Uh, they're going fine, I guess. I don't know. A little... A little... Um, not, not quite as exciting as being dumped off in the desert and having to trek like 10 hours to a checkpoint, but... Um, I don't know. Think, think things are going. I guess. Um, there sure is a, a heat wave going on. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it is kind of like the desert then. Yeah. Certainly feels a lot like uh, the space centers down in Texas and Florida, up here where we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess uh, no, no more time straining for conversation between <laughs> the two of us. We might as well just. <laughs> get right into it with um the episodes we got which i'm uh very excited to talk about um because uh you know i think the the quality inherent in these episodes is self-evident would you agree mike yeah i think so it's funny because i remember um we talked a lot last episode about how the first two episodes are very like docudrama and how that didn't always work for us but i remember when i watched this season the first time like, I was a little disappointed when it got into some more character-driven stuff and away from docudrama, but re-watching it, I think these episodes work better for me now than they had um, when, I, you know, when I had first watched this series. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about the first of uh, our two episodes. We're doing episodes three and four of season one today, so let's, let's get right into um, uh, the third episode entitled... Nixon's women. Um, and Mike, did you know that? Uh, I don't know how, how you watch the show, but did you know that when the show premiered on Apple TV Plus, they released the first three episodes all on the same day? I did not, and that's interesting considering that. Um, and I, I think not just because we're recording like the the podcast this way, but I do feel like the first four episodes you can kind of break up into like chunks in a way where it's like. I feel like the first two are very um, akin, or and then the, the, the second two are also very akin in a way, right? I feel like I'd be a little, uh, like, slightly discombobulated if, like, my introduction to the show was, like, watching these first three episodes in, like, one night. Um, maybe. I mean, I can sort of see how that feels, because I feel like episode three goes better with episode four than episode two. But going back to our discussion last episode... Um, and, you know, trying to figure out, like, you know, how is this a TV show? Mm-hmm. What's, like, the story engine that, like, drives this every week that an audience can sort of tune in and expect? I feel like episode three is the clearest, like, oh, okay, here's how this is a TV show. This is what the show was always about. And, which I feel is, like, a stronger hook than anything from the first two episodes in terms of character. Because this episode is about women. <laughs> So our, our last uh, exciting episode ended with the uh, gobsmacking cliffhanger that the those drastic Soviets, they beat the, the United States of America. They beat them to the punch yet again, and they had landed a woman. Yes, a woman on the moon. Um, so now Nixon, who, you know, was a big fan of following the popular trends of the day, um, he wants his own woman on the moon. Um, the Moon Maiden, they, they're, they're, is the name they're workshopping for it. Yeah, which made me think of the um, uh, Dick Tracy character, the Moon Maid. Who, I'm um, not familiar with it. Well, you know, do you know Dick Tracy? Yeah. He's like a cop. Yes. Started in the 1930s, yeah. you know, at the height of Al Capone, mm-hmm. Prohibition. And then in the 60s, um, the writer Chester Gould decided to cash in on the uh, 
sci-fi craze that was going on by introducing a character called the Moon Maid. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it didn't go over well. So, mm. <laughs> um, But yeah, Moon Maidens. They get Deke Slayton to sort of organize a committee to find women, and they uh, decide to pool from the Mercury Spaceflight program that actually did have women in it. Yeah, so it's like they're... Um, there's a group of women called the Mercury Mercury 13 who were um, fe- these female pilots who went through basically all the same training and, and tests that the male pilots in their Mercury program, at least Mercury 9, the Mercury 9 program, uh, went through as well. Um, but of that pool, only two of the two women are still flying. Um, there's Molly Cobb and Patty Doyle. And they are sort of these kind of like rough and tumble swashbuckling um types right they're 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 more they're very much like calamity jane-esque in a way Um, pioneering spirits yes yes and they're kind of contrasted with some of the other members of the program um the most uh probably important of which is tracy stevens who is the wife of gordo stevens the astronaut who we were introduced to in the first two episodes and she's of course also in those episodes um turns out she also has a pilot's license she also flew a bit and she is very pretty and photogenic so the nixon administration is basically like we want her to be the face of you know women on the moon and she um you know her sort of like kind of you know madman-esque like housewife existence like it clashes with um especially with molly cobb right um, molly definitely looks down on her she calls her the astro wife because she's married to an astronaut um and, and views her as a pr son and i i'd say like the bulk of this episode is about like tracy's kind of journey right like her um trying to you know she's constantly like sort of like ranked like the least competent pilot least competent candidate and and Deke Slayton clearly does not believe she should be there, but uh, the powers that be definitely want her to be there. And I feel like a lot of this episode is her kind of like, you know, learning how to be an astronaut. I feel like is is how you could kind of uh, describe it. Yeah, Tracy is definitely the uh, viewpoint character for this third episode, and I'm glad they um, went in this direction and sort of turned the character around. Because like I said in our last discussion i felt like tracy and and gordo both were given sort of um well-trodden paths in their last outing in terms of how they were portrayed and i don't think either of us would have just wanted to watch like sort of 60s marriage crumbling storyline all Mm -hmm. over again this is a much more positive portrayal and it's like i really like the way that they turn around both of these characters like gordo too like this is a show where it's like i really want to see this like marriage succeed mm-hmm. as opposed to like last episode where it's like oh this is you know just gonna be like a destruction of their marriage caused by infidelity and whatnot and that's not really what happens in the show so it's a it's a pleasant surprise but um but yeah so we're given she's she's our viewpoint and she it's it's good for both uh, the audience and within the show and that it works good. She's like a pilot and she has hours log, so it makes sense for her to be in the program. But she's also like kind of underqualified, so it helps us to like relate to her. Because um, I don't want to be insulting Mike, but I don't think either of us are qualified to be an astronaut. So it's sort of um, you know we're able to like sort of tag along on her journey through this uh, training program, and it's sort of a uh, exciting for us as well yeah because it gives you because you know when the series starts you're dealing with astronauts who have like been to space you know it's 1969 it's not 1962 right they're not trying to get to space they're trying to get to the moon so they they've, they've kind of done this before and it's old hat for for ed and gordo and all of them but it's you get to see these like training um procedures through the women's eyes and the the other two very important characters that this that is introduced into the pool of as cans astronaut candidates are um uh, Danielle Poole, who's like the first major black character in this show, um, and who um, the Dixon administration explicitly wants um, in the program because she is black. 
um, which is a thing that, like, crops up later in the series. Um, and then also Ellen Waverly, who it's revealed later is sort of like this, basically like an heiress to, like, an airline. <laughs> um, and who has, who is this very sort of, like, um, very much wants to prove that she can kind of, like, ha you know, accomplish things without her, without her father's money. Yeah, and I, uh, just going back to that airline, I looked up um, Cavalier, mm -hmm. and as far as I can tell, it was definitely real. I couldn't find, like, Tracy says, like, a tagline. It's like, the only way to fly is Cavalier, yeah. I believe. I couldn't find anything about that, but as far as I know, it's real, unless they were just using, you know, that name, hoping, but as far as I could tell, it's it's a real, it was a real air air airline thing yeah well i believe they they manufactured aircraft i don't know if they were an airline exactly. yeah yeah no, that's that's what um, i saw and it's and kind it's, of it's okay it, it's it's kind of vague because it's like oh i'm in air transportation it's like well is are you like delivering things are you are you transporting people it was kind of vague i was saying the, the show kind of does this a lot like uh, molly cobb there there was no actual person named molly cobb who was an astronaut but there was and the, the mercury 13 was a real life group of people and there was a member of them named Jerry Cobb, which is apparently who Molly Cobb is loosely based on. I did want to mention, because we sort of neglected, that this Mercury program for women was a real thing mm -hmm. that happened. Yeah. So um, it is a part of history, and I'm glad that they're um, using this stuff as grist for the mill, mm -hmm. as it were, in this show, so we can like learn things. Because I, I had no idea about it. Did you know anything about it? No, I didn't. Um, obviously, I knew about, like, Sally Ride and stuff like that. But I, I didn't realize it, that, you know, as early as, really the late 50s, they were they were training women to go into space. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I wonder why it stopped. That That's a very good question. I don't know. Maybe it's it just has more to do with, like, the... Because that's kind of the, the other tension going out through this episode and the next one, right? Is that, are they going to um, halt the program, right? are they're 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 constantly on the lookout for like they're very conscious of like bad pr they don't want a woman to die um and they're they're very sort of like yeah like say conscientious about how this looks and so that's and they're and basically it's like okay maybe one of us will get a spot on a mission but they're not gonna like you know make all of us astronauts right like there's this sort of like how much of a token are we how seriously are people taking us like that's a big big through line yeah, and this is like the original reality show competition, in a way. <laughs> yeah, it is. It like, is. they're all competing. Like, they're all friendly with each other, but there's also an air of, like, we have to compete with each other, because, like, only a select few are actually going to make it to get inside the shuttle. There, There's literally a scene where they're at the outpost bar, and Patty and Molly are playing pool, and all the other women are at a table talking to each other, and they're talking about Molly, and Tracy's like, I don't know, I just kind of wish she would have been, like, more encouraging. And Ellen goes, well, she's not here to make friends, which is, like, the most cliche sort of, like, reality competition line you can, like, think of, which had kind of made me laugh when I first heard it. I think uh, we're, we're going to take a short break now, and then we'll come back and discuss more of our thoughts on this third episode. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you're a fan of the Postwriters articles, podcasts, and projects, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. It's a once-a-week digest of everything we've worked on, what the site is up to, and other things we'd recommend each Monday. We don't believe in subjecting you to daily, annoying emails, but we do believe in keeping our most passionate and loyal supporters in the loop on what we've been up to. We know how inconvenient and annoying it is to have your inbox flooded with constant reminders and useless material. That's why we run a curated weekly newsletter that gives you a once-a-week scoop. New subscribers help us know how many people are reading and listening to our work and want to hear more from us. So go to thepostwriter.com slash newsletter to sign up now. All right, welcome back, everybody. So, um... We're back discussing episode three. So I guess the real big set piece here is the um, obstacle course that happens at the end of the episode. 
right, Mike? Yeah, it's it's this um, it's like a survival training thing where it's meant to simulate a failed launch where you're ejected somewhere. You know, you can't if you like press a button on the ejector seat, you can't control where you go, um, and you end up uh, anywhere. So they just throw them out in the desert. They have they don't never they never say how much time they have to get to like at the checkpoint, but they have some amount of time, and it yeah, there's this. Um, montage set to like a interesting like uh cover of the rolling stone song jumping jack flash but with like a lot of like sitars with kind of like an indian flair um it was i had never heard that version of the song before is that um, like a supposed to be like a ravi shankar influence i mean it, it sounds like that um I don't really, but I don't. I actually don't know who. I should have looked this up before to find out who uh, covered it. But mm. yeah, it was like this weird kind of like psychedelic instrumental version of it. And you know, I uh, you know I thought that was a it, you know it's an interesting sequence, um, and it it does a lot to help kind of build the characters of Tracy and Ellen in particular. Ellen will become very 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 important later in the season, later in the series. Um, and there's kind of like a divide between, you know, Patty and, uh, Molly who just want to win. And then what happens is, is Tracy, um, stumbles upon Ellen who has like sprained her ankle and she's kind of in like a, like a crevice, I guess she fell. And, uh, you know, and she needs, she needs help. Yeah. She's like, she should realistically like abort the mission and like get medical attention but she doesn't want to do that because she doesn't want to prove you know that she couldn't finish Mm -hmm. and then she tracy's just like okay (laughs) like literally that's what happens well she yeah she 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 makes a splint for her and then helps her get to the the finish line basically but like a few seconds after deke is like time's up um and you know he realizes that tracy's been helping ellen he's like this wasn't a team building exercise and tracy's like well she wasn't gonna radio for help and i wasn't gonna leave her behind and you would do the same and it's kind of like i think it's supposed to be kind of like a turning point in deke's perception of tracy and the program in general yeah definitely i do it was supposed to be like all these women like they they are out to prove you know something more like a grander statement about Mm -hmm. women um, and they want to prove to themselves that, like, they can do it, that they can, um, what do they say? What's the thing in Rocky that Rocky wants to do? Go the like, distance. Go the distance. Go the yeah. distance. That's what he want, they want to do. And th- there's a scene where they it shows them receiving, receiving and reading fan mail from all these young girls around the world. And it's paired with a montage of, like, basically women's liberation protests. Um, and it kind of implies that the, like, women's liberation movement is, like, kick-started by this program and again that will also become very important as the series goes on this sort of like uh social liberalism that's kind of like kick-started by these various efforts to like revitalize the space program yeah i think that 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 scene where they look at the letters it was probably a bit much something about it yeah well I, i think it's like the voiceovers that made it because it's like some of the voice because they're supposed like they're it's supposed to be like the voiceovers of like the girls writing the letters but some of them sounded like adults pretending to be little girls <laughs> like i don't know actually know who the voiceovers were but the it, it, they sounded kind of odd. well it was just i think even like the lead-up was corny where it's like hey look there's all these letters on the wall yeah it does kind of come out of nowhere um but it, it was fine like i got the point mm-hmm. it's using a shotgun to kill a fly or i got they beat me over the head with it i got the point though i mean this is just in general not a very subtle show like you know it there's there's a lot of a lot of big signposts all over the place um i don't know i thought it was interesting so then um so yeah so then tracy has proven that she like sort of does deserve you know a shot to be on the list despite being just there as gordo's wife or the big photo op or whatever 
And then um, the episode ends with uh, our our main character, Ed Baldwin, returning mm-hmm. to um, sort of give them a, a, a test drive in the... What's it called? The the lamb. Uh, like the, the lander, basically. Um, yeah, he, well, he's kind of peppered throughout this episode, training them and stuff. He actually... Because you asked, like, what I thought about, like, Joel Kinnaman's performance in the prior episode. I actually think he's very funny in these two episodes. Because he kind of plays... Like, in this episode, there's, like, a a clear, like, sort of, like, juxtaposition between, like, uh, the Stevens household and the Baldwin household. And it's, like, in the Stevens household, it's, like... Obviously, there's, like, a lot of volatility, but Gordo can at least pretend to be happy for Tracy. And then... In the Baldwin household, like, Karen's very angry that this is happening. Like, she thinks it's kind of humiliating to her husband that she has, that he has to train these women. Um, he thinks, she thinks it's humiliating to Gordo that his wife is not working at the same place as him. And Joel Kinnaman, like, while she's upset, is just kind of, like, like, he's just kind of, like, wide-eyed, like, dumbstruck, like, 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 what do you want me to do? And she's, like, taking, like, the, the dishes before he's, like, done eating his dinner and stuff, and he just is kind of, like, he's, like, I don't know, I think it's pretty cool. And she's, like, no, it's not, and it's, like, this whole thing um so yeah i i actually really enjoyed his performance in these two episodes but yes what what happens is they're training on the lander which is you know finicky they say you know neil armstrong almost died on this a few years ago um and you get the scene that when i first watched it i thought i thought was very like tense and nerve-wracking um you see tracy ascend onto the lander she goes up to fly it. Then you see Gordo driving down the street. You see a plume of smoke from, uh, like, wherever they're training. And Gordo's, like, this, you know, frantic U-turn to go because he assumes Tracy is dead, and we do too, but it turns out she's okay, and it was actually Patty Doyle who died instead. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of uh, t- turns in this final <laughs> yes. few minutes. Uh, I, 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 I don't know if this quite worked for me on the first watch because I don't know about you but I had, sort of had a hard time telling uh, the characters of Patty and Ellen apart because mm. I feel like they kind of look visually similar mm-hmm. um, and it, it's it, it, you know it's just like oh we need we need an ending a big shock ending and it's just like I don't know why they couldn't have just had it be Patty. You know, they had to do, like, Tracy gets in and then cut away, and then Gordo runs back. That That's just my opinion. Yeah, it, it, it is a little cheap. Um, I, I guess my feeling is that it kind of, like, it complicates the relationship between Gordo and Tracy. Because they have, like, a... I think it's in that episode... Or it might be the next one where they have like a like a big another big fight. Um and know, it's just like this thing where it's like they care for each other but they also can't really get along type kind of thing. And I think it, it just kinda like it's there to further the stakes. Like the life and death stakes, right? Because even like the first two episodes it's like they they fake you out with like a Neil Armstrong death, right? That never actually happens. Um And yeah, so it is a little cheap, it's a little manipulative, but it worked for me. All right, to each his own, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then um, the one other thing from this episode I wanted to bring up, um, where it's like there's like a budding romance between the character of Ellen and what's the um, Larry. Larry, Larry Wilson, Larry, and there's there's this this wonderful, totally realistic meet cute where a, a man <laughs> enchants a woman with his uh, knowledge of uh, 50s and 60s era western movies <laughs> which you and i both might can speak to experience you know as always works like a charm um with courting women oh absolutely um always you know anytime you can quote cool hand luke or talk about the score to butch casting and sundance kid it works it's just like you know um christian slater's character in true romance knowing so much about comic books and charming whichever arquette person whichever our cat is in that movie um <laughs> yeah no it works works all the time <laughs> yeah um but you know that that relationship will not be what it seems in the next in the next episode so yep they subverted me 
yet again. It's like, <laughs> what is this, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? I want something more traditional. Darn it. Um, but yeah, we can uh, go right into episode four that deals with the ramifications of the lamb crashing and burning in a miserable pile of failure. Um, episode four, which is called Prime Crew. Prime Crew. Um, and this episode is really where uh, we move from Tracy to sort of uh, Molly Cobb. Mm-hmm. getting the center stage because it's really about sort of like well firstly it sort of deals with the fallout of the crash landing as yeah. we just say it does so like yeah well, go ahead. no i was gonna say i it, like it starts out with a scene of deke watching nixon on the news it well yeah it starts off with like there's there's a funeral for patty and and they all kind of um it's it's like the fake Walter Cronkite talking about it, and then uh, sort of like the four core women who we follow a lot are like at a bar and they're trying to console Molly and Molly doesn't care. And then yes, Deke is watching Nixon declare a ceasefire in Vietnam in 1970, which is earlier than a ceasefire was actually declared. So another you know change in history, and. Uh, Tom Paine, so you know the uh, the I guess he's like the the he's technically the head of NASA. I, I can never really yeah tell. Nixon's crony. Yeah, he comes in and he's like Nixon's pulling the plug and he's like yeah I know I'm watching on TV I know the war's over. He's like no 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 he is pulling the plug on on the uh, the, the the female space program and Deke's like uh that's my call and again this whole argument and stuff and it leads to the situation where Deke just kind of on his own decides no. These four people are astronauts, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and he, and he uh, picks Molly to go on Apollo 15. Yes. He We're... has the sit-down with uh, Ed Baldwin, and he says, Molly's going to be on your crew instead of Gordo. Mm-hmm. Which sends and... Gordo into a bit of a spiral. Yeah, that's true, and also it upsets um, Ed's wife. Yes, Karen. Yes. Who is still not happy about the idea of uh, women astronauts? What did you think of the part when Karen like speaks up and Ed's just like Karen? <laughs> I can handle it. Um, I, I I didn't think much of it. I guess. Well, I just wanted to know because you think uh, Joel Kinnaman's a comedic genius. Was uh, I don't think he's a comedic genius. I thought he's funny in this episode. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't a funny scene. It wasn't meant to be a funny was, scene. Was the scene when he's teaching his son how to ride a bike funny? No, it wasn't funny. The scene in this episode that was funny is the one where, like, he has, like, it's later that night when he finds out that Molly's going to be on his crew. He, Sedgwick, who's the other guy on the crew, and Molly, they all go out to dinner. And Molly's got kind of, like, an attitude about it. She's like, you know, I've actually been flying for longer than either of you. I've technically been in the program for longer than either of you. And Ed gets really upset, and he comes home, like, drunk, and he's, like, telling Karen all about it while he's, like, drunkenly brushing his teeth. He's like, you know, I don't, I don't even think yeah. she really likes men. And he's, like, he has, like, he, he's, like, brushing his teeth, and he has, like, a glass of whiskey on the one. And he's, like, and she's, like, come on, like, you're about to go to bed. She's like, he's, like, no, this is just, like, Listerine. Like, I thought that was funny. Isn't there also a scene where it's, like, he's angry, and he just, like, picks up a chair? he's like walking out of the room with a chair and then karen's like no 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 yeah, Put yeah. It down. it's he's on the phone with i assume it's it's either pat doyle's husband or father it's some mr doyle and he's trying to explain what happened to him and he smashes the phone initially in frustration and then he yells to karen about it and then he picks up the chair like about to smash that she's like no no no, no. calm down yeah um yeah, but um. Anyways, let's let's talk about Molly Cobb. Mike, what do you think of the character? I what do I think of the character. I think she's, um, interesting in the sense you know she is sort of like our portal into, um, the counterculture in a way. She's married to a guy named Wayne Cobb, who is like this. You know, they they, they both smoke pot. They both listen to psychedelic rock, right? You know, they're they're kind of bohemian. And she's kind of like an, you know, she, she's sort of like a, one of the, one of the symbols of like the changing world in this show. And I think she's 
her sort of like um, stubbornness. You know, I, I guess it adds some 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 tension to what's going on. Her her some sometimes nonchalantness about it all. Um, I think she's I, I think she's an interesting enough character. Yeah, I, I don't know. I really like the character. I feel like she's the first character who really has like. Um, she has like some, you know, very big fire in her belly. She's very you know, passionate. She can be like combative and con- confrontational, which mm-hmm. I think is good in a television character. Yeah. So um, I thought she was going to sort of rise to the level of sort of like another main character to the ensemble. So I was glad um, that she appeared in these two episodes. I really think she sort of helped sort of focus the show in the direction that I was sort of looking for. Yeah. And I think she definitely contrasts well with Ed, which is definitely a big part of this episode where it's like Molly versus Ed Baldwin. Because she's sort of like the free-spirited woman, you know, who doesn't want to be beholden to a man but ed's sort of like you know um the person who has you know the privilege obviously mm-hmm. to descend to his position but also sort of has the experience to sort of back up his uh, uh title and position um and what did i want to say oh uh <laughs> so i'm embarrassed because when i when molly appeared i thought I thought she was a great character, but I was also excited because I thought she was played by Maura Tierney. Oh. <laughs> from um, News Radio. Yeah. And The Office and... Um, the Affair. Yeah. Well, I, I just like... Really, she And she was on ER for like 10 years. Hmm. And I really like Maura Tierney as an actress. And I was like, wow, it's so great that Maura Tierney's on the show. Why didn't I hear about <laughs> that? And then I learned that it was actually... Sonia Wagler, mm-hmm. who I sort of misrecognized because I also watch Lost. She's obviously Penny on Lost, um, but doing a putting on an American accent tied sort of her, you know, British accent. So I, I sort of uh, misidentified the actresses. So I apologize. I think Maura Tierney would have been great as Molly Cobb, but yeah, Sonia Wagler is, is very very good as this character. I, I did yeah I I did not uh, I did not think it was more but that that's 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 kind of funny. I also think she when I read that she was British I was actually pretty surprised. I feel like she has a pretty good American accent. No yeah that's like part of why I thought it was more Tierney. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so I think um, there's a lot of funny stuff going on between Ed and Molly mm-hmm. in this episode. They. They, they they smartly choose to play it, I guess, more lightheartedly, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, they have venomous hatred of each other. Yeah. Um, like, there's the part where they're, she's, like, they're simulating, like, being on the moon and, like, mining rocks, mm-hmm. I guess. And it's like, you can't just, you know, flick your wrist yeah. with yeah. a hammer. You have to use your whole arm because mm-hmm. of the way gravity works on the moon. I thought that was both funny and so also sort of informative about mm-hmm. how training works about how physics on the moon works um yeah and... there, there's also that whole scene where it's like they have to dress each other in the spacesuits, and it's kind of this very like cramped awkward thing that like like cut is i feel like it's almost kind of like shot and cut like the scene like of like a couple either hurriedly putting on or taking off their clothes in like a romantic scene and like other shows but it's clearly meant to be just kind of like awkward sharing of spaces and they have this whole conversation about um waste disposal <laughs> in space and how uh it's de- it's designed for uh, male anatomy as opposed to female anatomy and this argument about whether or not they should make molly wear a diaper or if they should just redesign the way uh yeah it's like it's funny because they're like molly are you okay wearing a diaper and she's just like what yeah well at first she's like i can hold it for like 10 days (laughs) (laughs) yeah and um and then that's the other other plot going on in this episode is larry and ellen Mm -hmm. where it turns out you know larry is obviously super you know friendly and they like go out to dinner together at like the the bar mm-hmm. and whatnot and like then a co-worker is like hey you know you should hurry up and you know 
get to, you know, uh, doing what you do with women before she's, you know, an astronaut. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, people are going to be tailing after her, you know, endlessly because she's a woman astronaut. And Larry's like, oh, okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out they're all gay. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the way we find out is that, like, yeah, so they're at, they're at like, the outpost. Um, Ellen goes to the bar and is having this conversation with the bartender, Pam. And then one morning, early in the morning, Larry gets a call on his phone. They're like, hey, Ellen's needed in, uh, you know, the this, the sim schedule got moved up to, like, 6 a.m. We need Ellen. And he's like, well, why are you calling me? And it's like, well, you know, she wouldn't answer her phone. We just kind of decided, uh, you know, you guys were, uh... and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you're totally right. Um, then he hurriedly picks up a phone book and flips to uh, someone's, you know, Pam's name. And calls her and it turns out that she and Pam are in bed. And then he comes to pick her up. And they kind of have this conversation where he more or less, like, comes out to her. He's like, you've been sl- you have been you have to kind of, like, tighten up your, like, you, you have to be more secretive about this, basically. You're and getting sloppy. Yeah, you're getting sloppy. And they basically kind of, in that moment, decide to pretend to be a couple so nobody catches on to uh, their homosexuality. Yep. So, um, what did you think about this, Mike? Were you, like, gobsmacked? Was your jaw hitting the floor? Um, I feel like, as I was watching the first time, the minute where, like, he wakes up and they call him, and they're like, hey, and he kind of, like, pretends that she's there, I was like, oh, well, obviously this means that, like, you know, I kind of was able to connect the dots before they, they even cut to the scene of she and Pam. I was thinking about it, though, and it's like, I think it's a pretty, um, you know, we, we, we talked about comparing this show to Mad Men and stuff, and the one thing that I think Mad Men did only so well was handle, like, questions of, like, sexuality, right? You had Sal, who was the only, pretty much the only gay character on the show, and he's basically, uh... He disappears pretty quickly. He, yeah, he's only in the first... Like, he doesn't, he doesn't survive the move to... Isn't it, isn't it, like, the first episode of season three? I don't know if it's the first episode, but it's definitely in season three. Um, and he he's basically outed and he runs away. Um, and so I, I, I kind of, you know... I like the idea of them exploring that issue. I don't know that... It's not something they dwell on, I would say. And it's... Obviously, it comes up and it's very important in... Uh, one storyline this season, and then actually it becomes more and more important in later in the series, which you haven't seen yet. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's an interesting angle to it all. And, uh, you know, it gives them... It, it, like I said, adds more tension where it's like, oh, you, you hope they don't get found out. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I like the idea of Larry and Ellen sort of forming, like, a partnership. Yeah. As opposed, as opposed to, like, a physical romantic relationship they actually like form a a partnership to sort of help each other through these uh difficult times Mm -hmm. where they'll be persecuted and you know probably questioned you know for keeping a secret when they work for a major government program stuff like that um and but i i think there will be there will be certain problems i have with this uh later on in the season but for right now it definitely seems interesting that they form a partnership and um yeah, so that's the really other big thing. And then the episode ends with the exciting launch of Apollo 15. Yep. Which did... Was there a real Apollo 15? Ah, uh, there must have been. I should really Google all the stuff before I get on the podcast, but... Yeah, there was. Yeah. I'm going to assign you the role of historian. That's fine. Yeah. It was the, for- it was the fourth to land on the moon, so... Uh... Um, it's also, they reintroduce the Alita character and the Alita storyline, um, very briefly. Her father, her father is now a janitor at NASA, and he picks up all these sort of, like, newspaper clippings and stuff after the press conference with, uh, the female astronauts, and he ends up buying her, uh, bus ticket to Cape Kennedy to watch the launch. Um, and uh, her her father picking up trash 
and discarded items will become very important later in the the season. So there's a scene of, um, you know, where it's like they're basically the the cliche slow motion shot of the astronauts walking into the rocket. Mm -hmm. And then it's like Ed, it sort of focuses on Ed and, you know, Joel Kinnaman's face. And so on my first watch, I sort of like got the point was that it's like Ed walking along and it's from his POV. He sees like it's all women Mm -hmm. in the hallways and he realizes like, oh, this is not about me this is about like women everywhere so it's like he switches places with molly Mm. but on my rewatch like i was picking up more on like the anger and frustration and sort of like knowing a little bit about well knowing where the season goes with his character he just came across as someone like you know with very little impulse control and ready to explode so i just like he kept focusing on his face is like is that gonna like freak out at all these women (laughs) yeah (laughs) like but uh, no, no, no. It's like Ed just switches places with Molly. Mm-hmm. So it's like the first woman in space. She's leading the charge. Everyone's so happy. Tracy's there at the end to say good luck. Yeah. Everyone's happy. I It's funny because I had always read that scene as being from Molly's perspective, but you may be right. Um, and yeah, like Ed's kind of... Uh, him being like replaced by a woman is kind of like a, a theme that's, like you, you mentioned shane learning to ride a bike and like earlier on in the episode we see him trying to teach his son shane how to ride a bike and then later he comes home and he sees you know shane doing like circles in the street and it looks like shane's all alone he's like ah oh, he finally i finally taught him how to ride a bike i finally did it but it turns out it's actually karen who's taught him to ride the bike and who's like talking him through it and so that, that this sort of idea of like replacement Losing your seat is, I would say, another theme of the... That's a great point, Mike. I didn't even make that connection. I just saw that scene where Karen teaches him, and I was like, okay. (laughs) He learned to ride a bike now. (laughs) Which, I mean, if I remember correctly, uh, riding a bike is also an important thing that Shane will do later on in the series. Yeah. Um, There's no gravity on the moon to ride a bike, Shane. Oops, (laughs) spoilers. Um... Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just like ET. He's just flying in the bike around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then it's like, for all like their rivalry mm-hmm. throughout this episode, Ed and Molly, it's like ultimately it's like they manage to resolve their differences enough to like be able to go on this mission together. Um, which is um, interesting, I guess you know, and it's sort of like, uh. This, this, you know, if these two episodes, they felt like a long movie. Yeah. You know, it's like you could watch this and it's basically, even though it sort of switches from Tracy to Molly, it's done in a seamless enough way where it's not really like, you feel like, you know, you're watching two separate stories. It all feels like one big story mm-hmm. around like an ensemble. Yeah. Which is good. It, what um, you, in uh, the last podcast, not of this uh, show, but of one we recorded which I guess by the time this comes out will have been, like, maybe a few weeks down the line. But when we were talking about Thor Love and Thunder, you mentioned how, like, you know, a screenplay shouldn't have storylines that's, like, completely independent of each other. And I feel like this show does a good job of, like, not doing that. Like, everything's kind of connected and it kind of flows together fairly seamlessly. And it in, in that moment, it, it also does kind of remind me of Mad Men, right? Where this idea of having a big ensemble cast that... And they're they're able to shift the perspective a lot without without too much too much trouble. It's like jazz, like jazz piano, <laughs> well, like Margo plays. <laughs> I thought that was a little silly. Uh, That's one of the things like I had completely forgotten. Yeah. Like when it's like going back to rewatch, it's like, oh, all right. Mm-hmm. This does not come up again, right? She doesn't like play the piano to communicate with the aliens at the end. <laughs> it, it, it kind of comes up in uh, the third season, which is ongoing, but it's... Well, it's set, set 35 years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but it it's not like a huge. Yes yes and no I guess but it's not like a, a huge thing. Yeah, it turns out Margot um, thinks of math as jazz, and she when she occasionally like sits in as a piano player at a jazz club that uh, Wayne and Molly frequent. Mar Margot's like the real life uh, Duke Silver. Yes, from Parks and Rec. <laughs> she is. Yeah. Don't tell anyone about this. 
Exactly. Um, yeah. Do you have any other any other thoughts on uh, these two episodes, Mike? Uh, not too much. I mean, this is also we we kind of touched on it, but it's like the introduction of like the Karen Wayne relationship is a pretty important one going forward, and it's like their introduction to each other. Like, uh, there's kind of like the friends and family spot of the bleachers at Cape Kennedy, and Karen and Mrs. Sedgwick. I don't know her first name. Show up and. Uh, they sit next to Wayne, who is the like the only man there. It's all like the wives of the astronauts, and Karen and Mrs. Sedgwick are like holding hands as as the rocket goes off. And Wayne like instinctively reaches out to her hand as well, which you know their relationship there there'll be a lot of conflict there. There'll be some resolution there, and then like Wayne's general like anxiety about space is also gonna play a major role in the show going forward. Yeah. No. Yeah. We'll definitely pick up these embers that are introduced in this episode they are definitely introduced oh and there's also um deke's phone call with nixon yes what did uh, you think of that i i thought it was pretty good like so this is like i mean this isn't like much of a spoiler um but in the second season like reagan's president right and they're the actor yeah <laughs> um and there are, like, a few scenes where it's, like, people are on the phone with Reagan. And so they have a guy doing Reagan's voice. And for whatever reason, in those scenes, whenever they do Reagan's voice, like, it makes me laugh. Like, it just sounds kind of ridiculous. Well. Yeah, it's someone doing just, like, the, the kind of, like, I don't want to say, like, hackiest. But just, like, if you're, like, thinking of someone doing a Reagan impersonation, it's, like, it's what it sounds like. I feel like the, the, the voice actor for Nixon's, like, pretty good. And I appreciated how he's, like, I like, I like what I'm seeing on the news, Deke. But... <laughs> 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 but then he goes i feel like um this type of scene where it's like character like on the phone with like their boss mm-hmm. where it's like all chummy where it's like good luck yeah. but you know if this doesn't work you're fired and then like immediate musical sting i feel like that's like shooting fish in a barrel yeah it's like that sort of scene like always works mm-hmm. like when especially when you have the musical sting like ready to go yeah yeah um yeah it's an enjoyable scene and uh yeah, going back to the Nixon guy, it's, like, I I appreciate that it's not, like, the guy, they, they're they so focused on, like, getting someone who sounds, like, 100% right mm-hmm. to, like, someone who's, like, gives an actual, like, performance. Yeah. That, um, I really don't mind. Because, like, Nixon's, like, he's such a minor part of the show, ultimately. Yeah. Um, in, in these episodes. Like, he's not, like, a main character. No, no, and that's the case with most of the presidents on this show. Yeah, most of the presidents in real life. So, <laughs> that's an interesting uh, theory of history. But yeah, <laughs> and uh, for everyone listening in China now, your government is corrupt and the blah blah. Oh, we've been censored. Um. Uh, yeah. So that's that's really it for these two episodes. Well, I the, think. the 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 other like two important developments though in this episode is they first proposed the idea of like the moon base. Of building like a military Skylab, like, yeah, Skylab, but now it's going to be Moon Lab. And also, it's like the one of the guys is Gordo from Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. No, it's it's uh, it's not like uh, because I wrote this down too. It's like Arvin or like he's the janitor, um, or custodian or whatever. I think his name is Arvin. Let me look at the list of recurring characters on Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. <laughs> It's like Arvin or Abner, but I think Abner is just the, the, the pig from Hey Arnold. Yeah, Arwen Hawkhauser. Yeah. Yeah. That guy used so to... I, what's the actor's name? He used to be in a lot of stuff. Brian Stepanek. Yeah. He... Yeah. I don't know, it's just one of those things where it's like, even though it's been like 10 plus years since Zach and Cody, it is just like, get out of this show, I recognize <laughs> you. And it's funny because he, he is playing kind of like a somewhat comedic role as well. He plays a real guy. Shorty Powers was a real guy who did like PR for NASA. And really? Yeah. How are you able to just pull that? Because I, I Googled it when I was watching. Oh. Because um, I was like this, like Shorty Powers, like if you, like, I feel like if you make that name up, you really have to be like sure about it. Like you don't just throw that name away on, on Arvin. You have to like, uh, I feel like that sounds like a real guy's name. And he was, uh, yeah, he was like the the PR guy, and he, he yeah, he's like he he does kind of like these 
um, you know, it's like clear, like Deke, they're like, there's this like back and forth between him and Deke because Deke clearly doesn't like him. And then there's the whole like photo shoot with the Apollo 15 astronauts. And he's like, Molly, you should smile. And she smiles and she looks kind of crazy. It's like, okay, maybe don't smile. Um, that's yeah. you needed a record scratch. <laughs> uh, the, the other important thing is that they think they find ice on the moon. The, um, the, the substance or the, the government agency? <laughs> Uh, no, the, the, the substance. Um, they think they find frozen water, which means that not only will they be able to drink and grow plants with it, but they will also be able to convert it into rocket fuel. Oh my god. And it kind of raises the stakes for land moon. First, they also think that they found, like, the beginnings of a Soviet moon base. Um, so the, the stakes, the stakes are higher. Alright, lots, lots of exciting stuff that'll play into the rest of the season yeah and um yep so we'll be discussing episodes five and six next time um but mike uh, do we have time for a little special treat sure all right well i figured today since we're discussing women and their role in the history of space aeronautics and whatnot we could talk about um i have a little story about Meeting a meeting an astronaut. If you're interested in hearing about it, lay it on me. I think it's germane to this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I, I used to live in Florida not too long ago, and um, my dad was able to uh, take us on a trip to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, which uh, I highly recommend. You know, it's a great place if you're interested in space to look at. You know, space shuttles and whatnot. It's like a you know, living museum, you know, where rocket launches are being held. Um, but, you know, you can go and see all the stuff. And there's, like, a special, like, ticket or program that was available. This was, like, uh, over a year before COVID. So, um, uh, so you can have lunch with an astronaut. It's like if you pay enough money, those astronauts, they'll come crawling. <laughs> um so um, the astronaut that we had the pleasure of meeting was Barbara Morgan, who um, who was a very nice lady. She um, had a broken leg at the time. She was she was walking around on crutches, um, and she but and she because <laughs> when you have lunch with the astronaut, it's not just like lunch. They like lead you around the museum mm, and yeah. they like talk about everything. Yeah. So it's like they're walking around and like explaining everything, and it's like feel you feel kind of bad because like she was on crutches but anyway right. barbara morgan you can look her up on wikipedia she's got a full-blown page um she's one of the lucky few um she's one day we'll get notable. there mike what the hell what? She's, you have to be notable to have a wikipedia page she's very clearly notable yeah so um she she was part of the uh teachers in space program and you'll you'll see this right at the top of her Wikipedia page. But she was the backup for Krista McAuliffe, who was part of the uh, ill-fated uh, Challenger back in 1986. So if uh, Krista McAuliffe wasn't able to, you know, go on the shuttle, then uh, she was going to take her place. And then, unfortunately, if she had done that, she might have, you know, lost her life on the Challenger explosion. So, and then later, she um sort of went back to teaching and then later came back to go on another mission. Um, and this was in 2004. And this was actually, she was scheduled to be on the Columbia mission <laughs> in 2004, which um, also ended in disaster, yes. similarly to the Challenger. So I, I don't know what she was thinking when she was like, you know, let, let me try again, <laughs> as opposed to getting the clear signs. But um. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, mm -hmm. She was very nice. She she went up in 2007, so over 20 years later, after she was supposed to, on the Challenger, she went up as part of um, uh, STS-118, which was a space shuttle mission flown by the Endeavor orbiter, um, and then went up to the International Space Station. And um, she spent uh, almost 13 days in space. So she talked about this. She talked about, you know, all the training. She had to go, like, over two years of training, you know, just to be up 
get to that moment, you know, where you're sitting in the chair, you know, you're launched with so much force just to get out of Earth's atmosphere, go all the way up to the space station. You have to do, you know, a spacewalk from the orbiter into the space station. It's just really, it's like kind of an extraordinary experience, you know, and it's ultimately like you can't, you just have to sort of think about it as like your job. You know, you can't get too caught up in, like, the, the poetics or the, um, you know, out-of-bodiness of, like, wow, space. Like, what does any of this matter? You know, <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> Who needs it? Um, so, yeah, it was pretty cool. And um, we had lunch. We sat, like, I think it was, like, her, my dad, and me. Mm-hmm. And this was, like, a, a group of, like, 20 people. It wasn't just, like, the three of us. Right, yeah. Um and you're basically like a tour group and you go with them through the mm-hmm. Kennedy Space Center. And um, yeah, it was pretty cool. I highly recommend looking into her Wikipedia page and all the other assorted you know, documentation because you know, she's pretty interesting. I have a picture of her actually that we can put up on um, the Post Rider's Twitter feed. We took a picture, my dad, me, and her, and she, she signed it as well. Um, so yeah, you can see that on Twitter. So, um, what do you think of that, Mike? Have you had any lunch with any astronauts? I, I don't believe I have, um, which is a long way of saying no. We, we, should, we should try and get her on the podcast, see, have her comment on, uh, once we get to, like, the uh, closer to modern day, have her comment on uh, how, how realistic all of it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've seen the show. Does the Challenger play into the show without revealing too much? It not put it this way not a major enough role for me to remember it so okay yeah um yeah so that would be daunting one of the questions like people wanted to know is like what do you think is like the most realistic like space movie Mm -hmm. and she like had blasted gravity oh really yeah because everyone talks about gravity where Mm -hmm. it's like everything like seems to exist on a two-dimensional circle Mm -hmm. plane instead of like being yeah three-dimensional it's uh, whatever i want yeah. i want to know what she thinks of this show though yeah because <laughs> there is there's a lot of dramatics going on so that that's that's the question i always fear when i ask people it's like how realistic was this and it's like well you know there are a lot of people you know having strong emotions and marital problems and whatnot and it's like not really focused on the details yeah. of actually like going into space a whole lot mm-hmm. yeah but, um, I- I uh, <laughs> I have a, a, a cousin, like kind of like a second cousin who was like a captain in the Navy. And I remember one time, uh, this is like fairly recently, like me, my dad, my uncle, and he went out to dinner. And it was right when Top Gun Maverick had come out. And my dad's like, yeah, I guess like Top Gun's super popular and it's big for the Navy. And, this, and <laughs> my cousin's just like, yeah, I don't think about that. It was just like asking like someone actually in the Navy about like Top Gun feels like asking, you know somebody who actually went to space about this show but who knows i mean you know i i I have read apparently that like my cousin Vinny is one of the more accurate representations of like arguing in a courtroom so maybe maybe we'd be surprised yeah it's like uh, asking a lawyer what they think of better call saul yeah (laughs) a chemistry teacher what they think about breaking bad (laughs) yeah asking like a, a journalist what they think of uh superman right yeah um yeah, all sorts of things. I don't know. We live in a weird culture where we want to hear lots of people's reactions to things. Yeah. And um, um, anyway, I think they think that does it. I wanted to tell that story because I thought it was uh, interesting and germane. And if you don't think it was interesting, Mike, <laughs> how can the listeners get in touch with us? Well, you can email us at contact at com. You can also... Uh, you know, like, rate, and subscribe, or unlike, rate poorly and unsubscribe if you didn't like Lewis's story. Um, and you can do that, of course, anywhere podcasts are found because that's that's where this podcast is. You can also go directly to thepostwriter.com, listen to it there, and read things we've written there as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, please, please seek us out. Mike and I are both active on social media. The, the post writer has a twitter and the, yeah please get in touch with us through email we want to hear your questions comments and concerns about the podcast um 
so yeah so next time we'll be doing episodes five and six and mike and i are super excited to talk about it sure are all right everybody so uh until next time keep listening goodbye Enjoying this podcast and wondering where you can find more intelligent and insightful content just like it? Just head over to thepostcard.com, where you can find the latest opinion and analysis on politics, music, film, television, and a litany of other topics. In addition to our articles and podcasts, you can also check out our visual features, like our Floor Fight Bracket, our 2024 Republican nomination draft, and in presidential election and midterm election years, a map with all of our analysis. And if you like what you read, you can subscribe to our newsletter and, if you're feeling generous, donate to the site so we can keep churning out the content you know and love. If you love the site so much that you want to write for it, drop us a line at contact at thepostwriter.com. We're always looking for new contributors and willing to read any pitch you may have. That's the great thing about The Postwriter. It's not just about us. It's also about you. So head over to thepostwriter.com and see if there's anything that piques your interest. We bet there is.